Good morning, church. Are we well today? You know, I was overwhelmed with just as I was watching what was happening on stage today and I was reflecting upon uh, the work of our church this past Friday night, seeing about 100 of our folks scattered throughout uh, the high school uh, campus uh, as we did the takeover for Forest High School and Westport High School, their, their uh, football game. And then to see a lot of the same folks that were out there serving um, serving across this campus today, many of them up on stage, uh, these teenagers, uh, a lot of folks in our choir, some of them have been serving, uh, greeting people, some of them are next door. I, I was just overwhelmed over this, just how grateful I am for my church and the fact that we are a, a, a people together and we are serving together to the glory of God. You know, I know this month has been a month, uh, they, they call it uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. And let me say from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of all of our pastors, many of you have written us kind notes and given us gifts and have encouraged us and patted us on the back uh, this month. And we are so grateful for it. Uh, but let me tell you what I'm even more grateful for. I'm just grateful that, I, that we get to do life together with you. That God has called us together here in this unique relationship, this unique Christian family uh, that we call First Baptist Church. So to God be the glory for that. I do want to take a moment too to also uh, recognize and thank a unique group of people that are among us. I know Veterans Day is taking place at the end of this week. And would, if you are a veteran or you're currently serving, uh, we want to take a moment and just to honor you. And so if you have served in the U.S. military in one way or another, would you please stand and let us take a moment to, to uh, applaud you and affirm you? Amen. All right, all right. Amen. God bless you, men and women, for all that you have done. And uh, we need to continue to pray for uh, those who are currently serving uh, in our armed forces. We know that the world, uh, it seems day by day, gets to be a more dangerous place. And we need to be praying for those who are in positions of authority in our country. We know what's happening in the Middle East right now is, is, is troublesome. Um, but we need to be praying for all that. I, I do want to let you know I'm, I'm a proud uncle. I have a nephew, Jennifer's uh, sister's son, who is graduating uh, from Army Basic Training this Thursday. And we're excited about that. We're going to take the time to go over there and uh, to celebrate with them and uh, go, go to, to South Carolina at the end of the week for that. Um, one of the things that I've learned from many of you who've been uh, in the military, I, I did not have that opportunity, but I thank you for doing so. But uh, for many of you, you know, going through boot camp is a unique experience, going through your basic training. I, I've, I've discovered in, in conversing with many of you, uh, like my father, uh, that there is, you know, you go through the, the rigors and the struggles of boot camp and having uh, the drill sergeant in your face 24-7 uh, and trying to whip you in shape and help you to form uh, so, some, some kind of cohesion as a unit. If there's anything that I've heard from those of you who've been through this experience is that there is a certain level of camaraderie that you have with those that you go through boot camp. Is that a true statement? Uh, you, you've been through the journey together, and uh, just, there's just a unique bond that you share with those who have been alongside of you. Well, imagine what it's like for those who have actually been not only through their boot camp, they've been through their basic training, but then they also go on from there and they serve alongside of one another and they fight for one another and on behalf of one another. There's got to be a unique level of, of connectivity and support uh, that most of us can't even, can't even fathom. 
I'm currently reading a book called Band of Brothers by Stephen Ambrose. Um, it's been made into a miniseries, I believe, and uh, it's, it's about uh, a group of, uh, pr- really, it's probably the most uh, famous, most recognizable military unit in all of U.S. history, uh, and that is E Company, 2nd Battalion of the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment, Regiment of the 101st Division of the U.S. Army. If that's too long for you, they have a nickname known as Easy Company. And Easy Company is a very famous uh, group of men that, that fought alongside of one another. They fought during World War II. Um, they were established at Camp Tekoa in northern Georgia at the foot of uh, Mount Currihi, and there they trained and prepared uh, for what would inevitably be them parachuting into France and Normandy on D-Day. And that was the beginning of a year of fighting for them uh, as they went on to fight together in France and the Netherlands. They fought in, fought in Belgium. Um, they were at the heart of the Bulge, at the Battle of the Bulge, and eventually fought in Germany, ultimately capturing the Eagle's Nest, which was Hitler's mountaintop fortress, his headquarters. And what, what's so striking about their story as I've been reading about them and learning more, more about them is the, the unique connection that they had for one another. They, they were U.S. soldiers. They loved their country. They wanted to fight for freedom, fight and defend our Constitution. But especially for those of, that were in that company from the beginning, they had a loyalty and a connect, connection to one another that's hard to describe. In fact, it was quite common for many of those men who, and let, let me tell you, many of them were injured, not just once, but multiple times in all the engagements that they were a part of. But it was quite common for some of those soldiers to become injured, uh, go to the, to the hospital, go to the battlefield hospital, and then escape the hospital so they can go back and join their brothers in arms on the front line. They truly were brothers in arms. They understood the significance and the importance of, of being together and training together and fighting together and encouraging one another to stay together. Do you know the Bible actually has a word for that? It's called koinonia. Uh, it's a word that we translate sort of, I think, weak in a weak way in our, in our common translations as fellowship. It's really hard to take that Greek word koinonia and to give it the, the meaning, the full meaning that it truly is embedded in that word. In fact, the way we typically use the word fellowship which is the most common translation for the word koinonia, the way we use fellowship really does a disservice to the meaning of koinonia. Because when we talk about fellowship, uh, we're often talking about some meal that we're going to have together. We, we're talking about a Christianized party, right? We're going to have a, 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 a church fellowship. Or we, we use it to describe a room like we have next door, our, our fellowship center or our fellowship room. But koinonia, man, it, it is embedded with far greater power uh, in its understanding and meaning. The, the, this word that's sometimes translated as fellowship or partnership is really both at the same time. Uh, maybe a, a better way to just translate the word would be to call it a partnership fellowship. Because it's the kind of word that we use to describe a Christian marriage. It's a word really that we describe the church. It's It's discussing the, the privileges that we share, uh, this intimate relationship that we have where I'm a part of your life and you're a part of mine, that we are joined at the hip. And so when the Bible talks about fellowship or partnership, it's referring to the special fellowship that comes from having Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
You see, when you trust Jesus to save you, to redeem you, to forgive you of your sins, you're entering into a relationship with him, but with that comes a side benefit, which is a relationship with everyone else that has ever professed faith in Christ, especially those who are in your local, uh, uh, local church fellowship. It's not some loose affiliation. It's not something that we breeze in and breeze out of. It's a, it's a tight spiritual relationship in which we, like the band of brothers, the easy company, where we focus on being together and training together and fighting alongside of one another in the spiritual battle that we have and encouraging one another to stay together. And it's something, folks, that, that, folks, that it really isn't a, a, a non-negotiable for us. It's an absolute essential part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual discipline on par with reading your Bible and praying. Our current series, as we've been going through it these last handful of weeks, that we've been calling it Habits. It's really about spiritual disciplines that every Christian, if they want to be walking with Christ and growing in Christ, every Christian doesn't need to just have some of these true in their lives, but all of these things true for them. And these habits, these disciplines are the the means that God has given us to live and enjoy the life He's called us to live to the full. So far, we've been talking about the importance of Bible intake and reading your Bible and studying your Bible and memorizing the Bible. We've talked about the importance of prayer and fasting and sharing the gospel. And last week, we talked about the, 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 the call to be a good steward and to be a generous giver. And along with each of these, I've been giving you a challenge week by week. For instance, uh, with Bible intake, I've challenged you to read your Bible every single day for 66 days. And the, the number 66 was important because they've done some studies and have found that 66, if you'll do something 66 days, on average, that thing will then become a habit of your life. And so we want to Bible intake, read the Bible, study the Bible, uh, spend time uh, memorizing the Bible, do it for 66 days in a row. Likewise, praying. Pray daily. Make sure that you're in a spirit of prayer throughout your day-to-day walk with Jesus. And for fasting, I've challenged you to fast one day during uh, this series. And we're getting near the end of the series in a couple of weeks. So if you haven't fasted yet, please take time to do that. Last week when we talked about giving, I challenged you to be a, a generous giver. Uh, that you're faithfully giving out of, out of the overflow of what God has given to you. But on top of that, we've, we've issued a challenge to the church because we're a little behind, like many churches are right now, a little behind in our giving, and we're in the process of having a, a budget catch-up effort. And so uh, we encourage you to give just a little bit more as the Lord lays it upon your heart. Well, today we're introducing another important habit for every Christian. You've heard it already. It's koinonia, fellowship. And in looking at this ha- habit, we're going to be looking at not one passage today, but two passages. Both are from the book of Hebrews. So get your fingers ready, all right? Just like we did a handful of weeks ago when we were in a couple of different passages. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in chapter 3, read a few verses there, then we'll jump over to chapter 10 and read a couple of more verses. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. If you have your place in Scripture, go ahead and stand up with me because we're going to honor the reading of God's Word by standing in its honor. I'll read verses 12, 13, and 14, and then we'll jump over to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. So Hebrews 3, verse 12. David Mathis refers to these as the twin texts 
of fellowship. Verse, verse 12 of Hebrews 3. Here's how it reads. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now jump over to chapter 10, verse 24. I'm waiting for the pages to stop turning, all right? Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds or good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Keep your finger right there in chapter 10. That's where we're going to begin in just a moment. Let's pray together. Lord, today we're going to be discussing a habit that ought to be natural for every believer in you. Our first priority, Lord, is to know you and to worship you. The Lord, a people who know you and worship you will desire to be with other Christians who do the same. And so, Lord, help us to see this as a habit worth embracing and pursuing and encouraging others to do the same. Because, Lord, this, perhaps more than any of the others, may be a, a sign of the, tr- of the truth of our hearts, whether we're true believers or have harps filled with deception. So, Lord, I pray that you encourage us now as we open up your word and be challenged by it. And may we live this truth out, these truths out, to the glory of God, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat. My goal for you this morning, for us, is simply this, that you lean into koinonia. That you lean into Christian fellowship, that you live it out. That you not only see that koinonia is important, but that you pursue it with all that you have. And these two passages are going to give us two reasons or two actions that explain why and and what we must be doing to pursue them. And here is the first. The reason why we want to lean into Christian fellowship, as the author of Hebrews describes it, is that it helps us to remain true to the faith and stay true to the faith. Here's the first reason. We want to in the first call, we want to pursue fellowship to live out the faith. The reason why you want to be in close community, spiritually speaking, with other Christians is that it is a key to helping you be more like Jesus. It's a key to helping you walk daily with Him. Again, there in verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 10, the author says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. How to stir up one another. It's a very important statement here. Consider how to stir one another up. You know, that word to stir up means to stimulate, to provoke, to arouse. And I will tell you, having been a pastor of many churches, several churches, and been a part of a church almost my entire life, there's an awful lot of stirring up that goes in churches. But it's not the kind that the author of Hebrews is talking about. Now, I'm not talking about that ungodly kind 
uh, where, where someone's not getting their way, and so they're off in a corner complaining about this thing that's happening or complaining and speaking ill about someone. That kind of thing is divisive. It's evil. Uh, it's the kind of thing that often happens in hallways and parking lots. It's not what the church is supposed to be doing when they are gathering. And so the kind of stirring up that I'm talking about here is, is different from that. We are to stir up one another to love and good works, our text tells us. In other words, when we come together in faith in Christ Jesus, we are to live out that faith in community, and it's in the context of that community that we are to stir one another up to be more like Jesus, to be more like Him, to stimulate, provoke, and arouse others to live out the faith. That's what we're being called to do here. And that phrase, one another, is something that occurs quite frequently in Scripture. You see it in all kinds of ways. Well, the Bible talks about serving one another and accepting one another and teaching one another and forgiving one another and bearing one another's burdens and encouraging one another. And so this call to live out the faith together, to stir one another up in, toward love and good deeds, it, it's this common theme throughout Scripture. There is an assumption behind it that we're actually going to be together and that we're going to know one another. In fact, that's what the word consider implies. A more literal translation of this text, because the word, the word how that's in our ESV translation doesn't appear in the original language. A more literal translation would be this, consider each other for love and good deeds. By the way, it's not the first time that the author of Hebrews uses this word consider. He first uses it in the third chapter, verse 1, where he says this, consider Jesus. That is, study Jesus, focus on Him, contemplate on Him, be occupied with your thoughts about Him. And so the, the point there in, in Hebrews 3 is that you know Jesus and get close to Him. Well, the same word is being used now in Hebrews chapter 10, and it has the very same implication in regards to one another that we have for fellow believers in Jesus Christ. But here we are to consider each other in the same way we should consider Jesus. We need to consider one another in order to know one another, to get close to one another, that we understand one another and they understand us. So here's the point. We consider one another, we look to one another, we think on, uh, about one another, we focus about, uh, upon one another, we study one another, we let our minds be occupied with one another, and we do it all for the purpose of spurring one another on and stirring each other up toward love and good deeds, to live out the faith. That's why this idea of koinonia, this, this concept of fellowship, is still a good thing to do for Christians. I know it's become more vogue that, that you have church someplace else. I was driving down Maricamp right outside the, the, the church property here just two days ago, and someone had a bumper sticker that said, the outdoors is my church. They misunderstand what the word church means. Do you know what the word church means? It's the Greek word ekklesia. You know what it means? It means assembly. It means get together. You don't go stand in the woods by yourself and experience church, right? It's togetherness is what the church is about. And so fellowship is really an overflow of that idea. In fact, our English word fellowship comes from the old English word feolaga, which means partner. It means one who shares with another. We are sharing fellowship with one another. We're sharing our faith with one another, partners in the faith. And verse 24 tells us what we're doing, which is living out the faith. Verse 25 of Hebrews 10 tells us 
how we are to, to, to do it. It expresses how we are to go about it. Look at verse 25 again. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Why, why do you think that the author of Hebrews included this verse in the Bible? Why do you think he said not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some? The reason is because way back then there were some Christians who made it a habit to not get together. He was responding to a concern that he saw among some Christians who were neglecting to be with other Christians. It was their habit, their, their ethos, their, their normal to not be together. And the author was saying, no, 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 you want your ethos, you want your habit, your normal, that you actually spend time with one another. You see, you cannot consider one another, you can't know one another unless you spend time with one another. That's why the, the habit of fellowship is so important for a believer. Getting together ought to be normal for a Christian, not abnormal. Now we know that church attendance and, and getting together as Christians in our churches, it's really declining. I praise God for you. Thank you for being here and being present. Uh, many of you have been on this journey a long time as a part of this church family known as First Baptist Church. But we know that there are a lot of churches that are struggling. And we begin to notice some time ago that the slide that's happening in churches in the West is a generational one. We know the oldest among us these days, the builder generation, they're the most faithful attenders. And they're the ones that keep on attending until they just physically can't do it anymore. And I know we've got a number of them in recent weeks and months that have just unable to come. Uh, I've been encouraged because of our television ministry, our, our internet uh, broadcasting ministry. Some of them are watching this live right now, and we praise God for them. And if it were up to them and their bodies, they would be present at this, this moment this morning. The next generation, the baby boomers, you are a faithful group if you're a part of that. That's not my generation. It's the one above me. Uh, you are a, a faithful group as well, but many of your generation are not as faithful as the generation above you. And when we look at my generation, uh, Generation X, we're, we're not so regular. There, there is a, a core of us that are faithful, man. We're present and we're engaged, but there are far more of our generation that used to be a part of churches when we were younger that are no longer a part. They still claim to know Jesus. They want to be considered Christians, but their week-in, week-out habits of gathering with other Christians for the sake of Christian fellowship, it's, it's largely missing and talking about a largely missing group, well, the millennials and Gen Z are almost altogether missing. What you saw up on the stage here, by the way, today is an anomaly in a lot of churches. The number of churches that are continuing to meet, but they sort of, uh, that you get below the boomer generation, uh, there's, there's a, a great vast group of people missing younger, and the greatest group missing of, of all is this younger generations of millennials and Gen Z. So many of those in the younger generations who claim to know Jesus aren't actually living out their faith. You know this to be true. They're not in regular fellowship. They're not part of a regular community of, of believers who are encouraging them to live out the faith, and no one is considering them. No one's thinking about, hey, how are you going uh, in your walk with Jesus? How, uh, how's it going? Do, do you, do, are you praying? Are you going deeper in the Word with the Lord? And because of that, they're not doing the other thing that's called for in verse 25. They're not being encouraged, and they're also not encouraging others to do the same. In fact, look at it again, verse 25. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
I will tell you, pastors like myself are often guilty of, you, of preaching from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24, and especially verse 25, to encourage you to be in church on a Sunday morning. And we should, by the way, we should. But in doing so, we may be missing the reason why, and that is that we all need encouragement. There's not a one of us that doesn't need a pat on the back from time to time, and sometimes a push to keep moving forward in the faith. And it's really a mutual thing that we're supposed to be engaging in in this encouragement. We get together to encourage one another. You encourage me, I encourage you. Together we encourage other people. And I will tell you, as as great as it is for us to gather here and to hear uh, the great hymns of the faith song and hear the together we lift up our voices and uh, in praise to the Lord, it's hard to accomplish this encouragement that, that the author of Hebrews is talking about if it's only in this room. If this is all that there is, Listen, I'm I'm the first to tell you corporate worship is important. In a couple of weeks, we're going to spend some time to talk about how that is yet a habit of the Christian faith, a discipline we should embrace. But it is likely it does not provide all the encouragement that you need, which is why we've created a better environment for that, by the way, here at First Baptist Church. We call them community groups. Community groups are are small Bible study fellowship groups that gather, sometimes here on this campus, sometimes off of campus, but they study together, they hang out together, they pray for one another, they care for one another, they do life with one another. And it's in the context of these community groups that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord, but also you can encourage somebody else to do the same because we're not all in the same place at the same time. Sometimes I need to be lifted up, and sometimes you need to be lifted up, and sometimes we both need to be lifted up together until somebody comes alongside of both of us, encourages us, or we encourage them. And listen, if you're already a part of a community group, let me encourage you to lean in, keep pressing in on that, keep being involved and encourage others to do the same. But if you're not active in one of our community groups, I would would push you to move in to, to get into one. And we have many ways for you to consider how to be a part of that, In fact, here's how you can join a community group. After our service is completed, go out to one of our information centers and just say, hey, I want to talk to somebody about a a community group. Or if you want to walk next door, just walk into the next building outside of our 1850 uh, coffee house and books, there is a wall, a display wall, uh, that has a listing of some of our community groups that are meeting out in in the community during the week. Or jump online. You'll see a listing online of both our on-campus and off-campus community groups. And if that doesn't work, maybe this is even a better thing to do. Find somebody that you know that's in a community group and just ask them. More than likely, they'll say, I'll tell you a great community group to be a part of. Come to my group, they would say, because we are loving on one another and encouraging one another, and you will fit in just fine. Let me tell you how important we feel as pastors that you be a part of a community group. You know, every single one of our full-time pastors, they and their spouses are involved in a community group. Even me. I have a community group that I'm a part of, and I encourage you to be a part of one too. Because I'm telling you, fellowship is a non-negotiable. Christian koinonia is a non-negotiable if you want to live out your faith in Jesus. Now, there's another encouragement I want to give you here, but not from Hebrews 10. Jump over to Hebrews chapter 3. Another reason why we embrace this habit of fellowship, it's because we do it, number two, to pursue fellowship. We pursue fellowship to stay true to the faith. So we pursue fellowship to live out the faith, 
We also pursue fellowship so that we stay true to the faith. I'm talking about persevering in the faith. In fact, look there in verses 12, 13, and 14. Uh, it's been a bit, so I'm going to read it again. Just listen to it very carefully. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Let that sit on you for a moment, okay? He's talking to people that claim to be Christians. He says, Take care what? Brothers. So these are people who would consider themselves a part of the church, a part of the community of faith. And he says, take care, lest there be in any of you who call yourselves brothers an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, does that trouble you just a little bit? Leading you to fall away from the living God, verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It may be possible right now that some of you were troubled by what we've just read as you began to contemplate about the fact that there are some who can claim to be Christians who have evil, unbelieving hearts. You understand that if you have an unbelieving heart, that means you're not saved, correct? Correct. And if that troubles you, let's just start with verse 14 before we unpack this just a bit. When he says we hold our original confidence firm to the end, what he's talking about here is staying true or remaining true in the faith. Listen, we all know people who once claimed to know Jesus, may have been a part of a church, may have been baptized may have participated for a season, but along the way they bailed on the faith. How many of you know someone that, that, that describes someone that you've once known or may still know? Are they or are they not saved? Are they Christians or are they false believers? Listen, this is a real concern for several, several, several of you based on conversations I've had with you. You've got kids or you've got grandkids who are in your mind right now because you brought them to church when they were younger. They went to vacation Bible school. Some, some pastor said, raise your hand if you'd like to know Jesus. They prayed a prayer. They got baptized. They were involved in the life of the church for a season. You watched their baptisms, but that was many, many years ago. And now they want nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the church or things of the church. So the question is, should we be concerned about that or not? Are they believers or they lost people? Well, the only way to, to, to know for certain, as we, we see here in verse 14, is that they hold their original confidence in the Lord to the end. There's our confidence. Only that those who hold their original confidence to the end, he says, will come to share in Christ. By the way, it doesn't say if we hold our original confidence from the end, we will come to share Christ. No, what it says is, if we hold our original confidence firm to the end, we have shared in Christ. And so staying true to the faith to the end is the confirmation that we will find that we were truly saved. Now, does this mean that we have to wait till the end to know that we have assurance of our faith? Not necessarily. You see, our original confidence is grounded in a couple of imperatives that you'll see in verses 12 and 13. We're told to take care and we're told to exhort one another. Take care and exhort. And we do this in the context of community, in, in Christian fellowship. Why is that? Because we know that if a person, if a Christian does not 
does not hold to his, his confidence to the end. He's going to prove that ultimately he never really believed from the beginning. If you say you believe, but the fruit of your life over many years to the end of your days is that you really didn't believe as if you were ne- never really a Christian at all, could it be that you were never really a Christian at all? Let me tell you why and how this impacts our call to be together in fellowship. You see, it's in the context of fellowship that we exhort one another and we encourage one another to live out the faith, but also to keep living out the faith. It's not that we are saved by our, and save others and keep them saved by our encouragement, but if, but if I encourage you and you encourage me to keep on going to the end, and if that continues to the end, then we have the confidence that we need in knowing that we've truly shared in Christ. See, our fellowship together, our our partnership in the faith, our exhorting one another is a sign of perseverance. We believe, because the Scripture teaches it, that once you are truly saved, you remain saved. You cannot become lost again. We believe that truly, but it's the fact that God uses our Christian community, uh, this this community and fellowship, this Christian fellowship, this koinonia, He uses it as a means of grace. He uses it to help us stay true to the faith so that as we exhort one another, we're encouraging one another to stick it out. That's really what Christian fellowship is really about anyway. We keep meeting together. We keep encouraging one another. We keep exhorting one another so that in the end, we will know that we have shared in Christ. The greatest tragedy would be that if someone that you loved deeply and you cared about who once claimed to know Jesus ultimately proves him or herself to have an unbelieving heart because they were hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so instead of seeking to be more like Jesus, they turn from the things of the faith and they embrace the things that they want to do, putting themselves back in the place of lordship over their lives. See, our job as Christian partners is to keep that tragedy from happening, to keep encouraging one another. That's why this habit is so important. And by the way, it's to be a daily encounter, not just a once a week on Sunday kind of thing. And in fact, isn't that what the early church did? You know, uh, Acts chapter 2, you have the day of Pentecost. And after that, there's a description of what the, the church was like in Jerusalem in the earliest of days. And we're told in verse 26 of Acts chapter 2, that day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This is a, a community group. That's what a community group looks like. They're encouraging one another day by day in the faith, which is what verse 13 is calling us to do here in in Hebrews chapter 3. He says, but exhort one another once a week on Sundays. Is that what it says? No. But encourage one another, exhort one another every day. And how long should we do that? As long as it is called what? Today. If the author of Hebrews were writing this today, he would have said, exhort one another every day and every other day that ends in Y. That's what he would have said. Is it still called today? Is today still today? Yes. Then be in fellowship with one another. Exhort one another. And listen, this is not a calling for some of us. It's a calling for all of us. It's why we have Christian friendships, so that we stay true to the faith. It's why we have community groups, so that we stay true to the faith. It's why we have D groups, so we will stay true to the faith. It's why we have our generational ministries, so that we will stay true to the faith. It's why we have uh, uh, this gathering week in and week out, so that we will stay true to the faith. I'm telling you, church, koinonia matters. It ought to matter to you. Christian fellowship matters. 
Who you hang around matters. You know, it's family worship day. I love this day. Reminds me when I was a kid. I know churches today, modern worship, modern, a lot of modern churches, especially large churches, we like to quarantine our kids out of the worship service. And listen, I, what we do in our, our preschool and kids' ministry are incredible. We're partnering with our families, uh, with parents and grandparents to help disciple kids. And, but I think it's very important for them to also see that what, what church is about is a, is a much broader, multi-generational experience as well. So it's good that we bring our younger kids into the fellowship from time to time. Uh, I was a part of a church, a Yellow Creek Baptist Church, and my, my, my daddy would sit in the, in the balcony running sound. My mom would be in the choir, and I would sit along a, an older couple in the congregation because uh, we didn't have kids' church when I was a, ch a child. So it's important to help them see this broader thing, this broader experience that we have today. And it's good to see our kids here today. Parents, knowing they're with us today, I have a word for you. It's really a, an encouraging word to you, but it's a word that will encourage all of us in regards to the subject of koinonia. The two most important spiritual influences on your kids are you as parents, and secondly, right behind it, their friends. Do you know that? I say that as a, as a father of three kids. Two have already entered into adulthood. One is still a student. And I don't know if we did this by, 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 on purpose or if the Lord was gracious to us to allow us to be you know, pastor of a church and, and, and a pastor's family. But much of my children's community is this church, almost exclusively. They do have friends outside of the church, but but their, their core friendships are right here and have been throughout their, their lifetime. So mom and dad, let me just say this to you. You are the single most important spiritual influence on your children by virtue of your role and the time that you have with them, especially when they are younger. But who they have as friends is a close second. So having your children active in church and in kids and preschool and student ministries. But I will tell you, it's no guarantee that when they get older that they're going to remain true to the faith. I'm not saying that. But friend, if you yourself are not walking with Jesus and their friends who they, who they are doing life with are not walking with Jesus, they will not be walking with Jesus now and involved in the life of the church, experiencing koinonia now, nor will they later, more than likely. So I've seen it over and over again. Some parents not being discerning enough, caving in to their kids, to certain friends that they want to hang with that are not walking with Jesus. And before you know it, they're hanging around no one that's walking with Jesus. And when that happens, and some of you know this to be true, when that happens, it's done. It's over for them. You've already lost them. They're still in your household that you've already lost them. Those kids that were once active in our preschool and kids' ministries and student ministries, they leave the church in their middle school or high school years, or definitely by the time they become young adults, and nowadays almost none of them come back. So why our churches are in such decline these days. I say that not to come down hard on some of you who have had children that have not been where they needed to be and hanging around people that they shouldn't be or grandkids. I say that to tell you this, that who we hang around, even as adults, matter. It does. The people that you do life with matters. Because who you have koinonia around and with you, they shape you. Your deep relationships impact you. 
And that's why Christian fellowship is so vitally important. It cannot be an option. It cannot be an option for your kids, your grandkids, and it cannot be an option for you. So seek it out and participate it. In fact, let me re-up the challenge that I gave to you earlier. Find a community group. Find a Bible study fellowship group and then dive in head first. Give it your all. Oh, but pastor, I've done that. I tried that. You don't understand that it didn't work. I didn't connect. Try again. Try again. Find another group and try harder. If that doesn't work, try again. If that doesn't work, come hang out in my group. But find a group. Pursue koinonia. Pursue Christian fellowship to help you live out the faith and stay true to the faith. And let me just say this too, so that we're all clear here. Koinonia is the subject of today, but it's not the point. You know what the point is? The point's Jesus. The point has always been Jesus. Christian community isn't the point, but having community with Jesus is the point, and He has felt it important that if you're going to have community with Him, you need community with others who know Him as well. And here's something I've learned. When we find Him, or better yet, when He finds us, koinonia naturally follows. Something about a person who's truly seeking to walk with Jesus, they want it from other people. They want to be with other believers. They'll, they'll want to be in fellowship with them. And so if that's something that you really don't want, friend, let me just encourage you to examine your heart. I'm not saying that you have an unbelieving heart. I'm not saying that, but friend, you, you have every reason. If, there, if you do not desire to be in life, do life with other Christians, you ought to do a hard self-reflection upon your own heart to make sure that instead of a, a faithful, believing heart that's within you, could it be that there is an evil, unbelieving heart? You see, the whole point of it all is Jesus. To know Him, to grow in Him, and in the end, be seen that you have been sharing in fellowship with Him all along. To share in Jesus. And let me tell you, the thing that keeps you from sharing in Christ is your sin. It's my sin. We're born in this world with a spiritual condition. We, we have fleshly bodies, but we have a spiritual being. We are spiritual beings to the core. And because of those who preceded us, other human beings failed God, disobeyed Him, sin entered into the world, affected them, but it now affects us. And every single person born in this world is born separated from a holy God. And in your natural state, which is a sinner, if, it, if you remain in your natural state to the end of your days... I don't care if your name is on a church roll somewhere, you've been baptized in the church like we have in the baptistry behind me. If you do not know Jesus, if you do not recognize Him as the true Lord and Savior, if you've not confessed to Him that He is your Lord and repented of your sins and turned to Him for forgiveness of your sins, you are lost and you are still in your, your natural state. And if you die in your natural state, you will be separated from Him for all of eternity. And we don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. My friend, I, I pray that today will be the day. If you do not know Him, and the Spirit even now is speaking into your life, saying, you know what? That person with an evil, unbelieving heart, that's you. Someone right now perhaps is sensing the Spirit of God pointing His finger at you, calling you out, telling you that you were lost. It doesn't have to be that way, but today can be the day that you can be found in Him. Again, the point isn't, Koinonia, that's just a, a great benefit, a great fruit 
side fruit. The, the point is Jesus. Do you have koinonia with him? I'm going to have a word of prayer and then we're going to move on to what's next, which is we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. But I want to give this challenge to those of you who may be struggling with whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus. When we conclude our service today, there is going to be a pastor standing at this cross over here to my right, to your left. And I want to challenge you to go see that pastor following the service at the conclusion. And listen to me. Don't talk yourself out of it from now until the end of the service, all right? If the Lord is speaking to your heart now, then in faith, I want you to seek that pastor out. And if you come seeking Jesus, it'll be his privilege to talk to you about how you today can trust him for the forgiveness of your sins and be found forevermore. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, oh God the Father. We know that you exist in community. It's hard for us to fathom that you are the triune God, the one true God, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but you are in community. And your very nature reminds us that we are, we are designed to be in community, to be in koinonia with others. First with you, Lord, and then with others. Lord, I pray for anyone here that this passage that we've read in Hebrews chapter 3 has deeply troubled them because they've been wrestling with it even before they walked in this room today over whether or not they have genuinely experienced new life in you. Well, Lord, let it be that this day is the day that they get it nailed down forevermore. That they find you and they find the assurance that they need that they might then get up and start living for you and remain true to you to the end. And Lord, we do pray for those who need to respond in faith today, and I pray that you will encourage them to seek out a pastor or someone else that they might be saved today. But also pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in Christ who may not be all that they need to be in you, that they would be challenged today to seek out true Christian fellowship partnership, koinonia, that they might be more like you and remain true knowing that in the end they have shared in Christ. Lord, let us pursue you in whatever means necessary and let us seek this community that we need, we pray. We ask it and we pray it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.